We sang a song this morning that was called out, hymn 249. The title of the song is I Am a Stranger Here Below, and underneath it has a subtitle called The Conflict. It says, I am a stranger here below, and what I am tis hard to know. I am so vile, so full of sin, I fear that I'm not born again. When I experience call to mind, my understanding is so blind, all feeling sense seems to be gone, which makes me fear that I am wrong. I find myself out of the way. My thoughts are often gone astray. Like one alone I seem to be, oh, is there anyone like me? It's seldom that I can ever see myself as I would wish to be. What I desire I can't attain, and from what I hate I can't refrain. My nature is so prone to sin, which makes my duty so unclean, that when I count up all the cost, without free grace, I know I'm lost. If you can identify with the author of this hymn this morning, I believe you might receive a blessing from the message. It's to sinners that realize that they're sinners that have a struggle with sin. Our experience will testify to the principle that we're going to look at in our articles of faith this morning. We're going to address the fourth article. I'll read through the first three. I will mention, and by the way, I'm sorry I didn't mention Sister Virgie's here this morning. She's been sick and, and uh, undergrown uh, rehab in the nursing home, and she's back and doing well, and it's good to have Sister Virgie back with us this morning. Article number one, and as we mentioned before, these are... Uh, not inspired by God like the Word of God is. Um, we believe that the Scripture is the inspired Word of God or the God-breathed Word. This is not inspired by God, but it's an attempt that men have attempted to uh, identify what we believe the New Testament church represents and is like. So as we look through these articles of faith... They're not inspired by God, but they're the best attempt that men could put down to identify what we believe the marks of the New Testament church are. So we'll look at the first, we'll read the first four, and the fourth one is the one that we'll look at this morning. We believe that there is but one true and living God, and that in the Godhead are the three persons, the Father, the Word, or Son, and the Holy Ghost, and which three are one. Number two, we believe that the Old and New Testament scriptures were given by the inspiration of God, and we accept them as being the only complete and unerring rule of faith and practice. By the way, Sister Kathy printed a list of these on the back table, so as you leave today, if you'd like to pick up uh, a list of the articles. Uh, she has them on the back table back there. Number three, this is the one we looked at uh, a couple of weeks ago. We believe that God has always pursued his own infinitely wise plan in all of his works and ways, and that he will ever continue to do so. Hence, all things brought to pass by him 
are but the result of his holy, wise, and determinate counsel from all eternity. Just simply says that God's in charge, that God's in control, that what God does is good. It does not charge God with our sin. Our sin is the result of our own disobedience when we wander away from the Lord. So number four, we believe that Adam, though created in the image of his master, who pronounced him very good, did of his own volition willfully transgress the law of God and as a consequence became a fallen and totally depraved creature and all mankind with him. Now, I was going to take this one article and, and blend it with some other articles that, that follow it here, which are super important. But I believe that this one merits uh, giving it our full attention this morning, because if we fully understand what the scriptures teach about this one article right here, it helps everything else fall in place. All of the articles that follow that talk about uh, election, predestination, God's sovereign choice, God saving a people, God redeeming. It all falls in place if we realize and fully understand this article right here. It says that we believe that man is depraved as the result of the sin of our forefather, Adam. We don't just believe that when Adam transgressed the law of God, that it made us sick, that it made us terribly ill. But we believe that when Adam transgressed the law of God, that the punishment and the result of that is that death passed upon all mankind because of the fall of our forefather, Adam. So we believe that the result is that we're totally dead in trespasses and sins as a result of the disobedience of Adam. Now, let's go over to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to look at some uh, Old Testament uh, references to this, and then we'll look at some New Testament references as well. We saw in uh, Article 3 that God does all things according to His will that He chooses to do, and that whatever God does is good. In fact, He pronounces what He does not only good, but very good. And so when God created uh, this earth and God uh, established it, the last thing that he created uh, in his creation was man. But yet God says toward the end of chapter one, that when God looked upon all of his creation, including mankind, he said, and it was good and very good. So God himself declared that it was good, all that he'd created, even man himself. But God gives one, um, one uh, rule here to go by, and we couldn't keep this one rule. Uh, I grew up in an area in West Texas where there were, were a lot of folks that embraced a free will form of theology. And a lot of my friends were free will Baptist, and I had a lot of uh, good communication with them. 
But as we begin to look at this, we'll see that in, in our case, at least in the disobedience of Adam, and then our following in line with Adam, that when we begin to exercise free will in our life, it always leads to something bad. If I exercise free will of my own will, usually my own desires are going to take me away from God. And so we're going to look at uh, the free will that Eve had right here, the free will that Adam had right here, and the choice that they made. In uh, chapter 2, it says, And God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So we see right here that there's two parts to a man, two parts to each one of us individually. We have this outward man, and then we have this inward man. We have this natural man, and we have a spiritual man. And it comes down that Uh, God tells Adam, it says, and the Lord commanded in verse 16 of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest, thou shalt surely become sick. That's not what he says. He says, in the day that thou eatest of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he says, in the day that thou eatest, thou shalt surely die. So that's the sentence that God gave to Adam and the instruction that God gives to Adam and the consequence that God gives to Adam. And then God said, he said, it is not good that man should live alone. I'll make for him and help meet for him. And he says, out of the ground, the Lord formed of every beast of the field. It says that, uh, that God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he took one of his ribs. He closed up the f- flesh. And it says that he created woman out of, the, out of uh, the bones or flesh of Adam. And it says that in verse 1 of chapter 3, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, let me just back up right here. It says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Did you know that the serpent hadn't gotten any better since then? This is still the same approach that the serpent takes. The serpent is referred to as the deceiver. So there's not ever a time that the serpent is your friend. There's never a time that Satan in his enticements to you and to I, that that he's our friend. He is our enemy. And he's still more subtle today. So he's continued this along. And he comes to Eve and he says... Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. That's the sentence that was given to the disobedient act, if it was to be taken. And the serpent said to the woman, and here he's enticing the woman and and the certain uh, serpent still today 
That's the business that he's in is enticing us to sin. And it says, and the serpent said to the woman, ye shall not surely die. So that's the uh, response that the serpent gives to the woman. In fact, he says to the woman, he says, ye shall not surely die for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods going, knowing good and evil. So the serpent is enticing Eve and he said, you're not going to die. And in fact, if you partake of this fruit, then he says, your eyes are going to be opened. Uh, you're going to be as gods and you're going to know good and evil. And verse six says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, it says she took the fruit thereof and she did eat. So this is the first transgression that we have an account of right here. And then it says that she gave it to her husband and it says, and he did eat. So both of them had transgressed at this point. Both had been instructed not to eat of the fruit of the garden. It says, and the eyes of them were opened. And it says, and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves aprons. And it says that they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife, and they hid themselves from the presence of of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Isn't that the approach that we oftentimes take when we disobey the Lord? We then begin to try to hide ourselves from the Lord. Now look at what he says. The Lord called Adam and he said, where art thou? Now, interesting. God knew where Adam was. God wanted Adam to know where he was. God knew where Adam was. And it says, Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And then he said, God to Adam, he said, Adam, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree that I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And look at Adam's response. And isn't this oftentimes our response when we do something wrong, when we disobey the Lord, we like to be able to blame it on somebody else. Well, Adam started out right here doing it. He said, how did you know that you were naked? He said, have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And, and, the, meds, the, and the man said, the woman, the woman that thou gavest me, that he said, and he said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the tree and I did eat. So here Adam blames it on Eve. And then he says, yes, I ate of the tree, but he says it's because of the woman that you gave me. So ultimately right here, not only is he blaming it on the woman, but he's actually blaming it on God. God, you gave me this woman and she gave it to me. And yes, I did eat. 
Did you know that when we sin ourselves, that we should go before God and we should ask God to forgive us and we shouldn't try to justify or blame our sin on somebody else? It's not because of somebody else that we're disobedient. Our relationship is between ourselves and our God. Now, it may affect other people. There is a repercussion to the sins that we commit and and it may affect other people in our life. But the relationship that we have is between ourselves and God. And Adam said, it's because of that woman that you gave me, God. So ultimately, he was blaming God for giving him the woman. It says, um, And God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, well, it was the serpent. So just just kept passing the responsibility. It was the serpent. If it hadn't been for the serpent, then I wouldn't have sinned. Says the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Now, God. There are two things that came about that God said that uh, in addition to death passing upon all mankind and being totally depraved as sinners. God said, there's two reminders that I'm going to give you right here. I'm going to give you two reminders that there's going to be great sorrow and difficulty in childbearing. That's what it says right here. Says unto the woman, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children. And then he says to the man, he says from this day forth. And you can read this in verse 17, 18, 19. He says in the thorns and thistles shall bring it forth to thee and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. So for women, it's the, it's the labor in which childbearing brings forth. For men, it's working and providing by the, the sweat of the brow that he's referring to right here. But there's a much, much greater sentence that's placed upon us much greater than that in Romans chapter 5 it refers back to this account in Genesis in Romans chapter 5 he says wherefore and he's talking about Adam wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world And death by sin. So death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. He says. Verse 15 says. But not as the offense. So also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Let's go ahead and this all of this is really, really good. And not as 
it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in the life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even by the righteousness of one, the free gift upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So we see that by the offense of Adam and Eve in partaking in the Garden of Eden, that death passed upon all mankind. We see that we are already in a sinful state because of the disobedience of our forefathers, of our parents, Adam and Eve. We see that we're created in sin because of the disobedience of our parents. But also we can see that it doesn't take long uh, before we're born into this world that not only we are we disobedient through the inheritance of sin that we have, but then it doesn't take long before we uh, before we have our natural life that we begin to express that ourselves. So we are guilty because we were created in sin, but we're also guilty because we practice sin. Doesn't take very long. Don't have to be very old before we begin to manifest the sinful desires of this old Adam nature in which we embrace. So it says that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he, he talks about that, yes, that that death comes upon all mankind because of the sentence that we have through our forefather, Adam. But he also says that there's hope for many because of one man. And the hope for the many because of one man is because of Jesus Christ and because of the grace of almighty God. And he says that, that, that grace is greater than the sin death that we incur. But he says that even though we experience grace, grace is not ever a license for us to sin. In fact, he starts out in verse six and he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Uh, A gentleman told my pastor, pastor's with the Lord now, the gentleman told my pastor, he said, if I believed what you did about the sovereign grace of God, he said, I would go out and just sin all I wanted to. He said, if you believe like I did about the, the grace of almighty God, you would realize that you already sin much more than what you want to. Grace is not in any sense a license to sin. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How that we how are we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? 
all of um, all of chapter six is outstanding of Romans. I encourage you to go through and read all of chapter six. I want to hit a few uh, Old Testament examples uh, showing our inability to recover ourselves, just how dead in trespasses and sins that we are, and our inability to help ourselves aside from the grace of God. Isaiah chapter 6. If you want to write these down, you can go home and read them in detail. If you want to, to read, these are some of the points that emphasize our sinful, uh, our sinful position uh, before a righteous and holy God. And our inability to help ourselves and recover ourselves from this, to make ourselves at all better. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. And have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. We looked last week about Jesus Christ being the sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And how that our sins were placed upon Jesus Christ. And he represented us upon the cross of Calvary. And right here this verse supports that. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 says, But we all are as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Uh, The psalmist gives us some really uh, detailed uh, accounts of our condition aside from grace. Aside from the quickening spirit of Almighty God in our depraved condition, here's where we are. He says in, in Psalm chapter 53, he says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You hear somebody uh, uh, state the account that they don't believe uh, that, uh, that there is a God. They don't believe in God. Uh, we've, we've run into a few folks like that in the, in the New York area. They, they, they've not been brought up in, uh, uh, in, in, in Christian settings or Christian homes. And he says right here, the scriptures say this. I didn't say it. The scripture said, he says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. He says, corrupt are they, and they have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So God is describing our condition aside from grace. And this would we can't we can't uh, uh, we can't claim a position of being better than someone else or being holier than someone else because the only way that we believe that there is a God is that He planted His Spirit within us and He gave us spiritual life and He gives us a hope and so we give Him all the credit and all the praise for it. But He says the fool says in his heart there is no God, and He says God looked down from heaven. You think God knows what's going on? It says right here that God looked down from heaven. God knows everything about us. God knows your thoughts right now. You may be saying, well, it's just about 20, 19 minutes before 12 o'clock. God knows you're thinking that. God knows all of our thoughts. Isn't it amazing how we can have so many thoughts in one split second? I mean, a good thought, a bad thought, an indifferent thought. I mean... God knows all that. And he said, God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand. God looked down. God looked down at a specific moment. God looked down through the ages of time. 
And here's what God found. God looked down from the children of heaven to see if there were any that did understand and that did seek God. This is Isaiah, I mean, Psalm 53. Every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That's what God saw when he looked down. So if you do anything good, you have to give God the credit for it. Because in our natural state, in our depraved state, there's not anything good about us. He said, he looked down, they've all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Uh, Let's go to Psalm 94. It uh, describes it here in, in Psalm 94. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man and that they are vanity. The Lord knoweth our thoughts. The thoughts of man, and they are vanity. Jeremiah tells us how, if this is our state, if this is our condition before God, Jeremiah tells us right here in chapter 13, he tells us that we don't have the ability to change ourselves. And here's the example that. That he uses right here. Can the Ethiopian. A person of dark skin. Can the Ethiopian. Change his skin. I've seen a lot of things happen. A lot of amazing things happen. But I've not witnessed that yet. God's using it as an example right here. He says can the Ethiopian change his skin. Or can the leper. Change his spots. He said, that's pretty clear. The Ethiopian can't change the color of his skin. The leper cannot change his spots. He says, then then may ye also do good that are accustomed to doing evil. He said, "If, if evil's all you have, if you don't have grace, if you don't have the spirit of God in your life, you can't change yourself Any more than an Ethiopian can change the color of his skin or the leper his spots. You don't have that ability. Only God does. Um, Let's a couple of New Testament examples in uh, in Romans chapter. Romans chapter three describes us. Verse 10, this refers to some of the Old Testament examples. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, There is none, there is none righteous, no, not one. So just in case you think you might know somebody that would be the exception to the rule, the only one that was ever righteous was Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ. He says, God looked down through all of humanity, I believe from the creation of Adam until the last one that's living. And he says that when God looked down, this is what he saw, that there's none that's righteous. No, not 
one. He said, in fact, there's none that understandeth. He said, in fact, there's none that seeketh after God. We don't just wake up one day and decide that we're going to seek God, that we're going to pursue God. We can read in in John chapter six, where it tells us that God draws us to him and that he draws us 100 percent of the way that God plants his spirit within our life and he causes us to live and have spiritual life. And then we begin to serve God and to follow God. But until then, we don't have the ability. Now, I've had a lot of funerals since being uh, attempting to try to pastor the Lord's people. And I've been to a lot of funeral homes and I've seen a lot of folks uh, after they pass from this life. Did you know that I've never one time, not once, have I ever seen one of the dead bodies move at all? I could preach to them, as my grandmother would say, till the cows come home and there's not going to be any response. I could beg with them. I could plead with them. I could encourage them. And there's not any response because they don't have the ability. Until God plants his spirit within. All right, let's we'll just briefly go through the next couple of of, uh, verses here. It says their throat is an open sepulcher. Their, their, their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asp is in their, under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is our condition Without grace. That is our condition without God. That is our condition through the natural man without the intervention of God. Now, I want to share the next verse that I believe, if you can relate to this, and I believe that you can, that not only can you see that in the scriptures it says that we're in a completely Desperate condition that we can't help ourselves, but we experience it ourselves. At some point in time between conception and death, and God is sovereign when He does this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 And you hath He quickened. Lord told Nicodemus that you must be born again. John chapter 3. Not any of us here had anything to do with our natural birth. Neither do we have anything to do with our spiritual birth. Ephesians 2, 1. And you hath he quickened. That simply means made alive. That means that God gives you this spiritual life within. And he does it not when we become so good and so worthy, 
But he does it when we're in a deplorable state. He does it when we're in a helpless state. There's uh, two really good examples in Ezekiel. One of the little infant that was left in its own blood for dead. And, and he comes along and, and, and nurtures it and blesses it. Another one is the, the valley of dry bones where he says, can these bones live? And God speaks his life-giving voice within God is sovereign when he comes. It could be yet when we're in our mother's womb. It could be uh, like David upon, our, uh, upon his mother's breast. It could be at some point in time throughout our life in our uh, young adulthood. It could be toward the end of our life like the thief upon the cross, which experienced at least gave evidence that he had spiritual life within. But it's when, that spiritual life is when God chooses to plant it within us. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And he says twice in that same chapter, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's all of grace. But here's the account that I believe you can relate to and identify with and bear witness to this. Once you've been given spiritual life, then all of a sudden it bothers you when you do something wrong. All of a sudden you wish that you were better than you are. You have a hope in God. You have a hope in heaven. You read God's word and you say, you know, I think sometimes that's talking about me. I can't imagine why God would die for such a sinner as I am. But I hope he did. And I believe he did. And when the Lord blesses you with his presence, then all of a sudden you have an assurance that I know that I feel like I may be saved. And I know it's not because of something that I've done, but it's because of what he did for me. And I feel like I might be one of the representatives of his grace. Now, if you have this struggle right here, then your experience testifies to the fact that, yes, we're depraved, we're helpless, we're hopeless. But I believe that I might be an heir of grace. To have a struggle doesn't mean that you're not one of his. In fact, it gives evidence that you are. Because all of a sudden you have someone that you can relate to, the Apostle Paul, and we'll run over to Romans chapter 9. And this is how Paul describes it right here. If you can relate to this experience right here, then that's a good sign. That's an evidence that God has touched your life at some point in your life. And made you to, to be aware of your sin. And made you to know the difference between a righteous and holy God. Look at what he says. Verse 14 uh, in, in chapter 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under, uh, under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. Anybody here relate to that? If you, I mean, as you read this about the Apostle Paul, somebody might say, well, boy, he's got problems. But as we begin to read this right here, oftentimes, if we're honest with ourselves, it relates our experience about our life. He says, for that which I do, I allow not. 
For that what I would for what I would that do I not. But what I hate that I do. Do you ever get to the point you say, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to think that again. I'm never going to talk that way. I'm never going to say that again. And then before the end of the day, we've said something that we shouldn't have said. I thought Brother Don Richards used a great example about saying things that we shouldn't say. He said it's, uh, it's like uh, uh, squeezing out a tube of toothpaste. You ever tried to put the toothpaste back into the uh, container? You just can't do it. And that's sort of the way it is about things that we say. We ought to be mindful of the words that we say. We certainly should. But look what he says right here. He says that that I would do, I don't. I want to be a better Bible student. I'm going to pray to the Lord more. I'm going to be more long-suffering. I'm going to be more compassionate with folks. I'm going to try to take the gifts that God's given me and I'm going to try to use them to his glory. But I tell you, it doesn't, it's not very long before we realize just how much we missed the mark. Then he says, he says, um, if then I do that, which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more. I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know, this is Paul saying right here, for I know, he says, in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. So Paul is concluding this right here. He says, for I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Paul is just simply saying right here that the mark is higher than I am. I attempt to serve God and I realize that I missed the mark. I realize that the things that I say I'm not going to do, I end up doing them. The things that I say I'm going to do, I end up missing the mark. And Paul says, he says, I, I realize that in me, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. He says, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. If you can relate to the Apostle Paul right here then it's an evidence that God has touched you with his grace. If you realize that you have a conflict with sin in your life, that's an evidence that God has touched you with his grace. If you don't have the spirit of God dwelling within your life, then you can go out and live any kind of way and you can sin all you want to and you aren't worried about the consequences at all of your sin because you're not regretting that you're sinning against a righteous and holy God. I hear folks say sometimes, well, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm my own person. No, you're not. None of us are our own person. God didn't create us as our own person. We are accountable to God. All right, we'll finish up right here. Paul says, for the good which I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Paul says, I, Paul says, I haven't even got it figured out. I haven't reached a point in my life that I've got it all figured out. He says, he says, I know that in me, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. He says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil's present with me. Few seasons of peace I enjoy and they are succeeded with pain. If ever a few moments of praise I employ, 
I have hours and days to complain, the songwriter says. Paul says, even when I would do good, Satan puts some evil thoughts in my mind. But he says, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Verse 24. Paul doesn't say. My Christian experience has helped me to fully understand it completely. Do you know when we're going to be fully satisfied? It's when we're with the Lord. We are. As long as we're here upon this earth, there's going to be a struggle within because we have this old Adam nature that we carry around with us. But thank goodness we have the spirit of God that's dwelling within us that gives us spiritual life. Paul says right here. Oh, wretched man that I am. This is after Paul had had a great relationship with the Lord and with the Lord's people. This is after Paul was being used of the Lord in a mighty way. Yet Paul was not lifted up in his own experience. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul says, I have this struggle within. That when I would do good. Evil still present with me. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I, 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 I love verse 25. He says, I thank God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So then with the mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul says, I, I carry this warfare on in my life. But he said, there's a day coming that I'm going to be ultimately delivered and it's through God and it's through his grace. Did you know that these struggles that we face here in this world. When I would do good evils present with me of that that I would not do I do and that that I would do I do not. Did you know those challenges that we carry along with us here in this life. There's not a single one of them that we're going to take with us on home to glory. When the Lord takes us from this sinful earth to heaven itself. We're going to be delivered completely from the struggle with sin. So. I hope you can see that. When our forefathers embraced this article, it says we believe that Adam, though created in the image of the master who pronounced him very good, God himself pronounced his creation good. He did of his own volition, that's Adam's volition. Willfully transgressed the law of God. And as a consequence, Adam became a fallen and totally depraved, not sick, but completely helpless, completely dead in trespasses and sin creature. And it says, and all of mankind with him. That is our condition. Aside from the grace of almighty God. Now, if we understand that, and we understand that we can't help ourselves, that we can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, that we can't improve our situation in and of ourselves, then it's going to make us real happy to know that we have a Savior. That loves us so much that he gave his son to die for us.
And that he redeems us. And that he does it completely, successfully, 100% on his own. And he's going to take us all the way home to glory. If you understand this, it'll help you to understand the next principles as they begin to fall in place. About the sovereignty of Almighty God. In God electing and redeeming a people to glory. That if left alone, we would get what we justly deserve, and that's hell itself. That's our condition without the grace of God. Now, I wasn't brought up in the primitive Baptist. I had grandparents that took me, and that was a great blessing. And I'll always thank the Lord for my godly grandparents. I miss them so much. But where I was brought up, this principle of total depravity was not something that was taught of being completely dead in trespasses and sins. So it was, I'm, I'm super patient with folks because it was a little bit of a learning process for me to understand the doctrines of grace in this. But once I realized what a great sinner I was and that I wasn't just a sinner to the point of being sick, but I was a sinner to the point of being totally dead in trespasses and sins. Then all of a sudden, the other principles fell into place. And those principles and those truths have blessed my soul for the last 40 plus years. And I've tried to take God's word and share them with other folks for them to enjoy the blessing of knowing that we're saved, not by our works, as Paul says, but solely and sovereignly by the grace of Almighty God. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.